Just in honor of load shedding, I just feel we need to start off with a cartoon. If you can put that on the screen. Okay, I don't know if you can see it, but I'm going to read it to you. There's the little demons coming to the devil. It says, I uh, hate to be the one to tell you this, sir, but reports from the upper world says there's another prince of darkness. Another prince of darkness. What's his name? Belial, Belzebub, Zumal, Abaddon, Eskom. <laughs> Never heard of him. We hear the prince, this prince Eskom is mighty indeed. Without warning, he can turn light into darkness. He can render people powerless. He can bring an entire nation to its knees. They even say he's been load shedding. What's load shedding? I don't know, but it sounds ominous. There can be only one prince of darkness. Find this Eskom. Bring him to me. Yes, your evilness. So they phone, dial Eskom's yellow pages. You've reached Eskom. All our operators are busy. Please hold. We value your call. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Hello. This is Zoltar, sub-demon of the lowest ring of the netherworld calling at the behest of my master, the prince of darkness, who challenges Eskom to a battle of power with the loser suffering in the forbidden flames for all eternity. Click. Who was that? I don't know, but he was one upset customer. <laughs> yeah, we were, it's better to laugh at these things, huh? Than to uh, take it too seriously. But there are these quiet moments, which is actually very nice. Just, just, everything's just quiet, except for generators <laughs> in the distance. <laughs> okay, anyway, so we, <clears throat> we started last week with a series called Revive, and it's about revival. It's about each one of us experiencing a, a personal revival, a personal awakening. And uh, so I want to I build on this, this two months, basically, February and March, every Sunday, I want to add another key for you to help us to step into an, an, the next step of a next level of, of intimacy with God and a next level of coming to revival. And uh, the Lord is really stirring in my heart. He's, he's speaking to me and I'm, I'm just really so excited about this. So I want to just read another uh, a prophecy that I, I read last week by Smith Wigglesworth just to sort of explain to us what revival might look like. So in 1939, Smith Wigglesworth, just put a picture on Smith. Next one. There we go. Smith Wigglesworth in 1939, he was, a, he was a really a mighty man of God, and, and he prophesied about the final wave of God's glory. He said that after that, he says after the third wave, he started sobbing. He says, I see the late, the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. So there's a last day revival that's coming. He says, it will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit will be in operation. And then he says, the ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet earth. I see hospitals being emptied out. See, that's why we're having church now at a hospital. We're positioning ourselves for this. I see hospitals being emptied out and they will bring the sick to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. And so it's so powerful that he says, 
They will bring people to churches where they allow the Holy Ghost to move. And, and that's really my heart. I, wanna, I don't want to resist God. I don't want to block God from doing what he wants to do. I want to create an environment where God feels, this is home. I want to be here. I want to be with his people. I want to be with these people. And that's, in a sense, what we're doing. We're moving, positioning ourselves in a place where God can flood into our hearts, flood into our lives, and come and fill this place and, uh, and, and the city. Okay, just to quickly recap, revival. I shared last week, a revivalist, a revivalist is someone that releases revival wherever they go. A revivalist needs to live in two dimensions, two dimensions, and it needs to be free from a third. Okay, so you need to be in two dimensions, and the one dimension is if, if, if these steps would represent that. Say, um, this second step would be or represent that which God is going to do. We, we are lower down, we are a step or two down, but that step is something we hunger for. It's something that God is, as, is speaking to us. He's saying, revival is coming. Or he's saying to you, this is what I'm going to do in your life. You're not seeing it yet. But this is what I'm going to do in your life. And so that step, it, that, it, it represents our hunger. So you desire the more than what is. Okay, so a hunger for more. And it's being hungry for what God is going to do. Okay, so let's say it. Hungry, say hungry. Let's say it. I am hungry for what God is going to do. Okay, and then I said last week, but if we only focus on the future, on what God is going to do, but we are f- the, the, the negative side of it, we can be extremely frustrated with the here and the now. We're like, oh, why is it not working? It's not happening. What's going on? And that frustration can cause us to, to fall into unbelief and, and even depression and things because you're not seeing what you believe God is going to do. And so you need another step. So the step before that is the thankfulness. I am thankful for what God is doing right now. And that gives me a step so that I can hunger for more and go to that next step of what God wants to do. But it begins with having eyes to see the goodness of God. You see... God is at work continuously. God is everywhere around us. He's, there are so many things that we can be thankful for. But our, our, our humanness, our, our human nature tends to what? Complain on Facebook and other places about ESCOM. It could get worse. Two hours a day is not that bad. Well, sometimes four. But God needs to give us eyes to see his goodness. It changes your heart. It changes your outlook. It empowers you to stare, to go up one level. You're standing on that step, and so you can launch into the will of God. But if you're not seeing the goodness of God, you're never going to make the next step. You're never going to step into the will of God because you disconnect. Okay, so you need to be hungry yet thankful. Hungry yet thankful. Hungry for more, yet thankful for what God is doing. And then thirdly, you need to be free from your past. 
You need to be free. We need to be free from our past. So a revival, someone that releases the will of God into this earth, is hungry for more, thankful for what is, but free from the past. Because our past shouldn't define us. Our past shouldn't determine who we are, even if it's good or bad. Okay, so anyway, so I just want to recap that. So we, it's, it's, it's about building a culture of faith. You need faith. I need faith. Okay, so a revivalist needs to live in two dimensions. Thankful for the present, hungry for what God is going to do, and free from the past. Okay, because you see, most of us get our identities from our past. Most of us are defined by our upbringing, what we have done, what we have not done. All these things define us. But it's not our past that should define us. It's God that defines us. It is God that defines us. I'm going to touch on that a little bit. But the whole, the whole focus is you want to create a culture of faith. That every part of your life is full of faith. And I'll, I'll share a bit about that as we go. But first, let's go to a bit of history. I want to give you a lesson from history where things went wrong. About 300, the first 300 years of Christianity, it was really, the church was powerful, relatively pure. The, 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 the believers believed in the, uh, the priesthood of believers. In other words, that every Christian, every believer is a minister. That's what they believed the first 300 plus years of Christianity. And then something went wrong. The first 300 years of Christianity, the church was powerful, pure, on track. The church was unstoppable, actually just, just spreading across the Roman Empire and beyond. And around 400 AD, things changed. What happened was um, the, the Roman Catholic Church became more structured. And so they changed it that only the priests were allowed to do certain things. For instance... They made it so around 400 AD, communion, water baptism, and other foundational components of the activities of the priesthood of believers were removed from them, the believer, and given to the priest. So what happened is, it was forbidden for the believer to use communion or baptize others without the priest doing it. Some of us probably still think you're not allowed to do communion or baptize others. But this killed the church. This lie that was spread, basically communicated to, to, to the Christians that there's only a small group of elite Christians called the priests. It's only they that are allowed to do ministry. The rest of us, sit, be quiet, don't do anything. And so if the devil was in the, in the pulpit, if he was preaching, he would have said, only the pastor, the priest, the, the reverend qualify for ministry. The rest of you sit in the pews and shut up. Don't do anything. You don't qualify. You're just a bunch of sinners in any case. So don't even think about it. And, and, and this change in, in, in the belief system of Christianity actually killed it. Christianity on the whole backslid. And we entered the dark ages, a thousand years, which is called the dark ages. When what? When the believers didn't realize who they are in Christ. When, when, when the average Christian started to feel that they're average. And then to add to this, the, the Roman Catholic Church also started to um, honor the saints 
of the past or the heroes of the faith. Nothing against that. I think is a great thing to do. You honor the, those who've come before. But the, but the, the result is, is that the, what was communicated to the saints, to the believers, to the Christians, is that the only saints are those who are already dead. And you are not a saint. And the only saints are already dead, even to the priest. So there's these two things. Basically, the first, I believe, lie, like a poisonous lie, was only the priest is allowed to minister. The rest of you, shut up. Secondly, the saints, the only saints that they are, are dead. So, who do you think you are to do anything for God? Okay, so you see those two things should be there. You're not a saint, just a sinner. All the true saints are dead. Awesome. But the Word of God says something completely different. Philippians 1 says it. The Apostle Paul, he's speaking to, to he's writing this letter to the Philippians, and then he says, he, he says there to them, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. But it's completely different how the Bible and, and, and the Word of God sees things. As it says there, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, one of the keys to revival is that every believer must realize they are a minister and a priest unto God. Every believer is a priest. Let's say that. Every believer. Every believer is a minister. Let's say it. Every believer is a minister. Okay, because most Christians don't live like that. They look at the pastor, they look at the minister, and they think, I can't do that. I don't qualify. I'm not good enough. But the scriptures say you are a saint. Cool. In Roman Catholic terms, that is epic. Let's say it, I'm a saint. Okay, so make a little plaque at home, put it on your wall, I'm a saint. Okay, just go for it. Because the Bible said all the believers in Philippi were called saints. So it's about identity, how you see yourself. And so everything we do, every part of our lives, whether it be our, in the workplace, or whether it be something that we're doing in church, it is our ministry. I don't believe there's something like a volunteer. There's only ministers releasing that which God has placed within them to others. You see, we are called to represent Christ or represent Christ. Represent Christ. That's what God wants us to do. So I want to ask you this morning, where do you stand? And this is what I want to focus on. Where do you stand? I've said to you the one step is... Celebrating the goodness of God right now. The second step is hungering for more. But where are you standing right now? I believe many of us are standing on, a, on what I call a rubbish dump. A rubbish dump in our thinking, in our thoughts. And that's like 100 meters below the ground. you like down there. you like in the dumps. What is rubbish dump? Rubbish dump thinking would be, I am defined by my past. I've never been spiritual so well, I can't really be spiritual now. I have sinned so much, I've done such terrible things, so I mean, how can God use me? Do you know how people respond to me, look at me? I can see it in their eyes, you know, they have no respect for me. They, 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 they don't think I can do anything. 
Those would be rubbish dump thinking. That's, that'd be a place that we're standing on top. We allow our past. We allow people's perceptions. We allow our past failures to define who we are. And we find ourselves standing on that rubbish dump. It defines the way we think. We look at ourselves in the mirror. I don't see a saint. I don't see a minister of the gospel. I don't see someone that can be powerful in God. I see an average Average person, average Christian, average, nothing special. God has never done great things in my life, so why would he do now? Do you see the thinking? How's your thinking? You see, Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. No, 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 probably not. He didn't say that. He said, all things are possible to him who is awesome. No, no. Okay, all all things are possible to him who has never sinned. No. All things are possible to him who really, really works hard for it. They get blessed by God. No, he said, all things are possible to him who believes. That messes up our thinking. All things are possible to him who believes. If you can believe. It's a matter of faith. You see, I believe revival can be right now to him who believes. To the person who believes, he can right now encounter the living God. To the person that believes that God wants to meet with him, they can. It is by faith. Jesus said, all things are possible to him who believes. And so, I I believe many of us, our minds, our thinking processes are the issue. God isn't the issue. This world isn't the issue. Our circumstances isn't the issue. The issue is the way we see ourselves. The issue is the way we think. We're standing on that rubbish dump. We're 100 meters below ground. We're not never going to get up here. We're never going to get up here. Because we're way down there. And how can we make the shift? How can we make the shift? So let me just give you one or two verses just to lead us into the solution to this. The Bible says, you can be transformed. You will be transformed through the, what? The renewing of your mind. Amazing scripture. You will be transformed, transformed, transformed. Let's say it, transformed. They said, I can be transformed when my mind is renewed. When the, my, my way of looking at life and myself is changed, I can be transformed. You could say that's your revival. Instantaneous revival, suddenly I'm looking at myself, at God, and life differently. He's changed my way of thinking, my, my way of looking at life. So let's look at this verse. I, I touched on it last week. Exodus 33, verse 18 to 21. This is Moses standing on the mountain. He's encountering God, almost like a face-to-face meeting with God, but... He's seeing him, he's speaking to him, incredible. And then Moses cries at God, I want to know you. So he says there, and he said, please show me your glory. So Moses saying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing your voice, but I want to I know you. I've seen your power, but I want to know you. I want to see your glory. And so it goes on there. Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make, just God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I touched on it last week. The glory of God is his goodness. He's a good God. 
And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's a compassionate God. He's a gracious God. Verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face. No man shall see me and live. And then verse 21. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. That just jumped out at me when I read it the first time. It's like, God is saying, there's a place here by me, close to me, close to me, on the rock. This is where I want you to stand. I believe many of us are standing on a rubbish dump. Jesus, God is saying, if you want to be close to me, come and stand on this rock. Yeah, close to me, next to me, this rock, come and stand here. So we need to get off the rubbish dump. We need to ask God to renew our thinking. And so we can trans, transfer ourselves to, to that rock, this place, on this rock. And what is this rock? This rock represents Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 to 5, speaking about the Israelites and, and how they were, were um, going through the desert. It says, moreover, brethren, next verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all your, our fathers were under the cloud. The cloud, there was a glory cloud coming with Israel. They were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. They all experienced God opening up the sea, these walls of water as they went through and it destroyed the Egyptians. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. I mean, there was literally water coming out of the rocks. And they drank of that water. living water. That, and it says here, the, the, the author, the Apostle Paul speaks about that. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And it says actually that rock was following them. Okay, to summarize that. You had Moses and all of the Israelites experiencing all the same things. The miracles, the glory, the glory cloud, the, the incredible things, water coming from the rock. They drank from that rock. Yet it says, but God was not pleased with them. And it says, and their bodies were scattered in the desert. Why? They left Egypt, but Egypt never left them. They left slavery, but the slave mentality never changed. They were still slaves in their own thinking. It led them to, it says, unbelief and to complaining and to sexual immorality, etc., etc. Because of their stinking thinking, it led them on a path of destruction. They were standing on the rubbish dump. And I believe many of us are still there. You are a Christian. You have said yes to Jesus. You have said, yes, Lord, I'm coming out of Egypt from slavery. I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Thank you, Jesus. You've saved me. Oh, awesome. But as we're coming out, we're still slaves in our thinking. We think, we're still thinking, well, God can't do great things through me. We're still thinking, well, he hasn't ever done any great things through me. So why would he now? Our past defines us. And I believe it's a rubbish dump. And it's keeping us from stepping into the fullness of God. But Moses was different. Joshua was different. Caleb was different because they had a different mindset. Their minds were changed. Their way of thinking was changed. They were not slaves, but they were sons of God, friends of God. Here's a quote by Reinhard Bonnke. He says, Jesus Christ 
is the rock in the surging waves of confusion. Standing on that rock, you may sometimes tremble, but that rock never does. He is steadfast and sure. In time and eternity, he says, be still and know that I am God. There is a rock where God wants us to stand. God said there to Moses, yeah, next to me, close to me. Stand on this rock and I'm going to show you my glory. I'm going to show you my fullness. You will know me, but you must stand on the rock. Where are you standing? When you look in the mirror, what are you seeing? A sinner, a nobody, an average. I was there. For many years of my life, I was thinking, heck, I'm just trying to survive. <laughs> Goodness, talk about trying to change the world. Are you crazy? But then as you encounter God, he flips your life around. So I want to uh, sh- uh, read a story with you for, uh, to you about Miss Smith Wigglesworth. You can put the picture on there. And uh, I want to I I share with you his story because I think it's so relevant. He was 45 years old. Or in that region, he was illiterate plumber. He could only read the Bible. That's all he could read. His wife taught him how to read the Bible. Now listen to his account of how it changed his life. When he had a a powerful, powerful encounter with God. Smith Wigglesworth was an illiterate plumber who was incapable of speaking in front of a crowd. He preferred serving in the background while his wife did the preaching. Now, already I'll have an issue. If I was a man, my wife was the only one preaching. I was like, really? I'll be like, dude, are you a man? You know, type of thing. So, I mean, there's rubbish dumb thinking there. He's probably, oh, my wife's the preacher. It says there, he he preferred serving in the background while his wife did the preaching. After he encountered the face of God, he was changed into a mighty healing revivalist. Now, listen to this. He says, for four days, I wanted nothing but God. There was a hunger. For four days, I wanted nothing but God. But after that, I felt I should leave for my home. And I went to the Episcopal Vicarage to say goodbye. This is 1907. I said to Mrs. Body, the vicar's wife, I'm going away, but I've not received the tongues yet. So he wanted tongues. She answered, it's not tongues you need, but the baptism, meaning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He said, I I have received the baptism, sister. I protested, but I would like to have you lay hands on me before I leave. She laid her hands on me and then had to go out of the room. The fire fell. The fire of God fell. It was a wonderful time as I was there with God alone. He bathed me in power. I was conscious of the cleansing of the precious blood. And I cried out, clean, clean, clean. This is a man who's been serving Jesus now for since the age of eight. He's in the ministry with his wife. But here he encounters the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And suddenly he says, clean, but you're a Christian. He says, clean, clean, clean. I was filled with the joy of the consciousness of the cleansing. I was given a vision in which I saw the Lord Jesus Christ. I beheld the empty cross. I saw him exalted at the right hand of God the Father. I could speak no longer in English, but I began to praise him in other tongues. The Spirit of God gave me utterance. I knew then. Although I might have received anointings previously or measures of the Holy Spirit, that now, at last, I had received the real baptism in the Holy Spirit as they received on the day of Pentecost. After Mrs. Body had prayed for him, Wigglesworth telegraphed his wife. 
who along with the rest of their holiness people didn't believe in a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit, nor did they believe in the gift of tongues. The telegraph sent on Tuesday, 28 October 1907, read, I've received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and I've spoken in tongues. Polly Wigglesworth, his wife, responded, I want you to understand that I am as much baptized as you are and I don't speak in tongues. Now you can see here's some action happening. She's the preacher. I've been preaching for 20 years and you've sat beside me on the platform, but on Sunday you will preach yourself and I'll see what there is in it. Although fully involved in the work, he used to struggle to speak publicly and left all the preaching to her. He had to win over his wife before he could win the approval of the rest of the folk at the mission. So Polly had thrown down the gauntlet and the next Sunday he sat on the, she sat on the bench, on a bench at the back of the hall When it was the time for the message, Smith walked three steps up to the platform. And as he did, God gave him the passage from Isaiah 61, 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he was. Smith preached fluently under a heavy anointing, meaning the presence of God, and didn't break down and weep as he had done on previous occasions. Smith himself said, suddenly I felt that I had prophetic utterances which were flowing like a river by the power of the Holy Spirit. Polly couldn't believe what she was seeing and hearing. She shuffled up and down the bench and she said in a whisper, but still loud enough for those around her to hear, that's not my Smith. That's not my Smith. Amazing, amazing. What's, what's happened to this man? He was indeed different. First the secretary of the mission, then his son George all wanted what he had. And then the meeting ended in holy laughter with many in the congregation rolling around on the floor. Okay, yes. Sometimes the manifestation of the Spirit is weird. I mean, even on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, it says that all the onlookers were looking at the disciples, the apostles, and said, you guys are drunk. Nine o'clock in the morning. So the manifestation of the Spirit actually made them drunk. So sometimes there are weird things that happen. But after this, everything changed for Wigglesworth. He only had to walk past people And they would come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and turn to Jesus for salvation. Increasingly, miracles and healings occurred. The glory of God fell whenever he prayed or preached. Blind eyes were opened. Deaf ears were healed. Cancers were cured. The wheelchair bound began to walk again. Besides, all the people were raised from the dead, 14 of them, over the course of the evangelist ministry. They would say at times there were too many people and he would just do a blanket prayer. Lay your hand on that part of your body. I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. Be healed. And then hundreds of people would be healed at the same time. All this flowed out of a man at the age of 45. I mean, if you had to think age 45, that's like, okay, I've lived life. I've been in the ministry. Surely there's not more, but he hungered for more. He was like, God, I, I desire more of you. And so rubbish dumb thinking, a few things on the screen. First of all, you can say, I'm nothing special. Like Smith, I'm an illiterate plumber. What can God do through me? I'm nothing special. I don't have incredible qualities that would set me apart as a world changer. I'm nothing special. That's one of the lies. Rubbish, dumb thinking. Secondly, you can say, well, I have no God history. Yeah, in Smith's case, he was mid-40s. He, there was not major miracles, anything happened in his life before. So you can say, well, it's never happened, so why would it happen now? And you might say the same. I am now this age. God has never done great things. Maybe he has done a few nice things, but... You see, but our past can define us. But it should be God who defines us. Who's defining you? 
Who's defining you? Do you have a hunger for something that God's going to do in your life? Why not? Why not? What's holding you back? What thinking is keeping you back? So you could also start comparing. You could have said, well, my wife is the preacher. What type of man does this? Where he just sits on the side and it's only his wife that preaches. Not a, not a great man. Come on. That would, that would have killed a few men. I know of men who they just can't handle it when their wife earns more than he does. Kills them. Kills the marriage. Why? Because we allow that to define us. It shouldn't define our value. And, and, and Smith could also say, well, I have to work for it. If I work hard enough, if I fast long enough, if I pray 24-7, if I live a perfect life, then I will qualify for the power of God and the fullness of God and the blessings of God. And that's sort of, the, I believe, the trap of pursuing more of God is like you try to earn it in your own ability. I hope it's making sense to you. That's one of the traps. But if we worked for the more, if we earned the more, who gets the glory? Well, I fasted for 80 days, and then I this, and then I that. Well, I'm going to get the glory. So that's a trap. Okay, so that's the wrong way of thinking. Rubbish dump thinking. Now, this is where I actually just want to get to. How should we think? What truths should set us free? Okay, so your rubbish dump is 100 meters below the floor. First step is, God, I'm thankful for everything you're doing. Next step is, God, I'm so hungry for what you're going to do. But I believe the floor, this, this is the rock Christ. It's a broad place to stand. Jesus elevates us from the rubbish dump to, onto his level instantaneously and through faith. Through faith. Let me, let me, let me, let me give you a few ways you, we should be thinking. My ability doesn't determine what God can do through me. Okay, let's say it together. My ability doesn't determine what God can do through me. Why? Because it's God that works, not me. Okay, so it's not about how good you are. It's not about how capable you are. It doesn't matter how many giftings you, you have. The Apostle Paul actually said, I will rather boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So he's saying, I celebrate that I'm not so great in this and this and this and these areas. Because when I actually celebrate my weaknesses, oh, I'm a vessel through which God can move powerfully. I, I, I celebrate my weaknesses. But what do we do? We go and die in front of our weaknesses. It's like, oh, so terrible. I'm so this, I'm so that. I'm so not good enough in this. Rubbish dumb thinking. Next one. My past doesn't determine my future. Let's say it. My past doesn't determine my future. So you've been a stuff up until now. Well, now everything can change. And there are millions of examples across the earth of people encountering Jesus and he turning their lives around. I've seen this so many times. Even I remember as a student, I saw these other, some other students and it was horrible. They, they were terrible at their studies. Everything was chaos until they came to Jesus. Suddenly they start studying. Suddenly there's order in their lives. Suddenly everything changes. They get off the smoking and they get off the drinking. and they get, Suddenly everything just changes. What happened? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. 
I want to tell you, your past does not determine your future. God determines your future. If you would allow him to move into you, if you would allow your thinking to be changed, God wants to meet with you. Next one. My life is transformed when I renew my mind with God's word. Let's say it. My life is transformed when I renew my mind through his word. So you need to compare yourself with others. Just, God, just come and renew my mind. I'm not in good space. How do you know when your thinking is not right? Brilliant quote by, by Bill Johnson. He says, when your thoughts... When the thoughts that you have doesn't inspire hope, then it shows you that you are, your, your thoughts are being influenced by a lie. Whatever thought you're having, if that thought doesn't inspire hope, it's being influenced by a lie. How many of us are having thoughts that are not filled with hope? How many of us are having thoughts that are not inspiring hope? Your, your thoughts are being, being filled, influenced by a lie. Anybody that can relate to that? Hmm? Come on. Any thought, any thought you have that doesn't inspire hope is influenced by a lie. Let's tackle those lies. What lies are you believing? What lies are you believing? What lies have you embraced? Because those lies are taking you to that rubbish dump and is disconnecting you from where Jesus wants you to be. He wants to lift you up. He wants to lift you up when you stand on that rock. And then the the last one. Everything was done at the cross. Let's say it. Everything was done at the cross. I'm having you say it because I want you to take these home and actually go meditate upon this. Everything was done at the cross. So we can be thankful. When I put my trust in the finished work of the cross... And everything Jesus did for me, then I stand on the solid rock of Christ and I'm launched into God's power and blessings. Let me explain. Jesus, the Son of God, comes to earth. He walks the earth and for three years he does incredible things. He lives a perfect life. Then he does incredible miracles. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He walks on water. He turns water into wine. He feeds the hungry. He does incredible things. Raises the dead. And then he goes to the cross and he dies and he's resurrected from the grave. Why? Why? If we have to summarize all of that, why did Jesus do that? First live like this and then die and he's risen from the grave. Why did he do it? Why did he live like that? I believe it's simple. First he came to show us how we should live. Okay guys, what would Jesus do? Well, miracles, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hungry, walk on water, come on surface, that would be epic, walk on water. So Jesus is saying, guys, this is how I want you to live. And then he died at the cross, because when he died at the cross, he did this one thing. He opened the door for you and for me to live that life. He took us off the rubbish dump of all the negative, all the lies, all this, all the stuff that messes with our heads and our hearts. And he says, let me lift you up to my level. When you put your faith in Jesus, he makes you a saint. He cleanses you. 
He washes away all your sin and he, he lifts you up to his level. He says, now, I'm bringing you up to my level. When you put your trust in me, you don't have to work for it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to strive for it by faith. Because he says, all things are possible to him who believes. And if we put our faith in Jesus, he lifts us up off the rubbish dump. He takes us a hundred meters up onto the, onto the rock, Christ. And then Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 12. Assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the same works he will do and greater. Ah, That's mind boggling. What is he saying? He's saying, I've brought you up to my level, my, my, that way where, where I walked. I'm bringing you up to my level and through faith in me, if you would allow your mind to be renewed, if you allow, allow, get away from the stinking thinking, the rubbish dumb thinking, and you allow my word to define your way of thinking, then suddenly you can access everything I am. You can walk on my level. And you can do greater things than I can. And I know it sounds so like, almost so crazy for us who have a history, for so many of us have a history of, well, no miracles, no great things. Well, they haven't seen God, haven't heard his voice, so I'm, And we allow our past to define us. I want to shoot your past dead. Kill it. Boom. Cheers. You see, when you you come to Christ, you get a new legacy. You're part of a new family. You're part of a royal family. Everything changes. He says he makes you a new creation in Christ. You are new. You are a son of God. Everything has changed. And so we need to, and, and, and part of the, the, the changing of thinking is, is to start boasting in what he has done and not what you have done. I, I don't boast in my sacrifices, I boast in his sacrifice. I don't boast in what I have done, I boast in his finished works. I don't boast in my good works, I boast in his finished works. And it's like you, 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 you move in the spirit to another level, to another level where God can start moving through you. Okay, just to end off, last, last verse. Revelation 1, verse 4 to 6. Oh, we need to see this. When Jesus died at the cross, he destroyed the power of evil. When Jesus died at the cross, he destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of wickedness. He destroyed the power of everything that is dark. He he did an amazing work, and through faith we can Access it. Revelation 1 verse 46. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ the faithful witness. The firstborn from the dead. And the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Isn't that amazing? First it says the God who was and who is and who is to come. He is in your past. He is in your present. He is in your future. And then he goes beyond that. And he says he who has loved us, he's loved you so much and he's washed you with, your, with his precious blood. He's cleansed you. All your sin washed away the moment you put your trust in him. And then the last bit, and it says, verse 6, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. 
Let's say that he has made me a king and a priest to the glory of God the Father. You see, you were a sinner before you came to faith in Christ. Yes, you were a sinner and you were lost. But the moment you come to Jesus, he gives you a new identity. He says, and he made us kings and priests. A king has authority to change things. We are destined to reign and to rule. Not over people, over darkness. Destined to reign over darkness, over disease, over poverty, over wickedness over injustice. He has changed our identity. You are a king now. You are royalty now. And he's made you a priest. A priest. A minister. I want to speak that over you that it may settle in on the inside because it will change everything about how you relate to God and how you walk this life. Are you just a sinner saved by grace? Or are you a saint? A king? a priest, a minister of the gospel, that when you speak, heaven hears. When you pray, heaven hears. Faith. All things are possible to him who believes. All things. Let's say it. All things are possible to him who believes. So I am trying to help you now to expose the lies, renounce the lies, and, 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 and receive a renewing, a renewing of your mind and heart. About, about three years ago, this process began with me. And it has really changed my way of living. It has it's also changed every time we uh, go somewhere or we want to do a, a healing service or we're trusting people to be healed or, or saved or, or whatever. And every time you ask yourself, Okay, so what must I do to earn the blessing of God? Have you ever asked that question? Okay, what must I now do to earn the blessing of God? The answer is believe. The answer is trust in everything Jesus has done for you. Trust in that his victory at the cross was final and complete. Forever. Unchangeable. We win. We win. We win. As I said last week, I read the last bit of the book. We win. So, it's not about doing just ending over this. Not, it's not about doing great things. It's about doing average things, ordinary things in a great way. It's not about doing great things. Because you ask, oh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a king, I'm a priest, so I must do great things. No. It's doing ordinary things in a great way. Ordinary things in a great way. Whether it be in, your, in the workplace, that you, as a doctor, you actually care about your patients, that, that's, that's greatness. That's greatness when others don't. Or you're a teacher that doesn't despise the kids, but you actually love them, care for them, pray for them, have self-control, and see the best in the worst See the best in the world. That's doing, that's greatness. That's greatness. God has positioned you in your workplace for a reason. You are a minister of the gospel. And God's kingdom wants to come there. And I want to add this just to, in terms of joining any of the teams here at church. You know, the Amplified team. 
Ministering to, you, to young people, well, one life change, it's worth it. Worship team, leading people into the presence of God, that's great. Usher, love someone in a way that truly makes a difference in their lives, just to love someone and they come to Christ, it's worth it. That's greatness. I want to say, every one of you that are faithfully serving in this church, you are my hero. You're a hero of the faith. You are. You are. You're a hero of the faith. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's an honor to walk this with you. Okay. Let's represent Christ. Let's represent Christ in this, in this city. It starts with your thinking. Starts with your thinking. Allow God to renew your mind. Start seeing yourself differently. And the kingdom of God can come powerfully. Amen.